they know the merits of the lawsuit, they know it's not stupid, or else why would they have erased the records? Good question. We'll try to answer it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's just one I of the reasons. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, boy. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. And so, we meet again. Yes, it is a uh, another stupidly busy news day, Desi Doyen. Oh, uh, it always wish, is. <laughs> wish me luck getting through this today. Good luck. Uh, but in a moment, we'll uh, we'll head back down to Georgia, where we've been following, uh, if you've been following, our recent coverage of the very serious concerns about recent Georgia elections, including the state's computer election server that was mysteriously and completely wiped in the middle of a lawsuit recently uh, filed after the U.S. House special election in Georgia's 6th Congressional District over the summer. If you've been following our coverage, you will be interested to learn that there is now a recall effort underway to remove Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp from office. We'll have that full story for you and the man leading the effort to remove Georgia's chief election official. Uh, He will be here momentarily to explain why, why this uh, effort is underway and what the process is for that in the Peach State. Also, a bit later, yes, you heard her voice. That is Desiree Doyen. Hi, Des. Hey. Uh, You will be back with a Green News report. A fantastic Green News report, as Eh, usual. We'll see. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, Among other things covered in that report, uh, the move now by Republicans one step closer to uh, drilling for oil in Alaska's pristine National Wildlife Refuge. And I mentioned that point from your report specifically because we've got some breaking news minutes before air here today. Uh, Desi Doyen, uh, Donald Trump has approved the Keystone XL pipeline. Yes. Correct, which uh, Barack Obama had rejected. Correct. It has not yet been built, right? 
Well, parts of it have been built. Not talk- the XL part. Right, however. not the XL part that, uh, that was the, the focus of the permit. The Keystone pipeline itself has been in place. That does not, uh, I don't know if that crosses into the Canadian border or not, but... That long fight over the Keystone XL pipeline may have just uh, changed dramatically. This breaking news, a total of 210,000 gallons of oil. Oh, my. Leaked on Thursday from the Keystone pipeline in Marshall County, South Dakota. Uh, This according to the pipeline operator TransCanada. 210,000 gallons of oil. Oh, my. Uh, so uh, crews apparently had to shut down the pipeline this morning. Officials are investigating the cause of the leak. It's the largest Keystone oil spill uh, to date, according to... Uh, because it's already a leaky pipeline, by the way. Is it? Well, yeah. Yes. This uh, In April of uh, 2016, there was a 400-barrel release. That's 16,800 gallons. The cleanup there took two months, but this is... Much bigger than that, 210,000 gallons. And as we have found, as they always tend to underestimate how much has been spilled in oh, these yes. initial reports. Totally. So uh, TransCanada says they're working with state and federal agencies. They say the safety of the public and environment are their top priorities, and they will continue to provide updates. We don't have much more for the moment other than a statement uh, from uh, Greenpeace that says the spill shows... Another section of the pipeline in Nebraska should not be approved, referring to the Keystone XL. Uh, The Nebraska Public Service Commission needs to take a close look at this spill. A permit approval allowing Canadian oil company TransCanada to build Keystone XL is a thumbs up to likely spills in the future. Yes. According to Greenpeace. So that's just in. Uh, more breaking news here today, I, and I know we'll have more on, you'll have more on that. Uh, oh, I'm sure upcoming. I will. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Republicans rammed through a $1.5 trillion overhaul of America's business and personal income taxes that went through the U.S. House on Thursday, edging the nation closer to the biggest rewrite of the tax code in three decades, as AP describes it. The mostly party-line vote in the House, however, masked a more ominous problem in the U.S. Senate. There, a similar package received a politically awkward verdict from nonpartisan congressional analysts showing that it would eventually produce higher tax rates for low- and middle-income earners, but uh, deep reductions for those who are better off. So uh, it would also add $1.5 trillion to the U.S. deficit, and it would give permanent tax cuts to the wealthy and corporations while giving only temporary tax cuts to those in the uh, middle class. The um, production, the projections came a day after Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson became the first GOP senator to say he opposes the current Senate measure. Uh, at least five other Republican senators have yet to declare their support for the bill. So it remains uncertain whether it will get through the U.S. Senate at all or whether we'll see something similar to what we saw with the attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act, in um, which did pass the U.S. House but failed to pass the Senate. 
on Wednesday, lawmakers added a provision to the tax bill in the Senate that would essentially gut the Affordable Care Act, would gut uh, the uh, Obamacare by killing the mandate to purchase health insurance. And that, according to the nonpartisan CBO, will result in some 13 million Americans losing health coverage over the next decade. So 13 million Americans will lose their health coverage and um, the uh, middle income and low income earners will have a tax increase under this bill. What could possibly be wrong with this tax cut bill? The measure is also, by the way, wildly unpopular among the public, according to some new polls that are out, uh, despite the fact that Republicans like uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer of North Carolina, uh, who told reporters political survival depends on us doing this, he said. Good luck on that political survival. I I believe when he's saying political survival, he's talking about GOP campaign donors, not his actual constituents. Uh, Well, that's right. Not the not the voters. But, uh, yeah, the donors donors and the politicians uh, who have been threatened by those donors that if they don't pass this cut, they're going to cut them off. Uh, Speaking of being uh, cut off by big donors, a U.S. district judge declared a mistrial Today, after more than six full days of deliberation by a hopelessly deadlocked jury, which failed to produce a verdict on any of the 18 counts against New Jersey's Democratic U.S. Senator Bob Menendez or against his co-defendant, a wealthy Florida eye doctor who is accused of buying Menendez's influence by plying him with luxury vacations and campaign contributions. Prosecutors would not say yet whether they plan to retry Menendez. Outside the courthouse, he uh, choked up, fought back tears, blasted federal authorities for bringing the case at all. Jury member uh, Edward Norris said that 10 jurors wanted to acquit Menendez on all charges, but just two were holding out uh, for conviction. But that uh, that means the judge said determined that they could not come to a a decision either way. So all the charges now are essentially tossed out unless prosecutors decide to refile. Um, The defense had argued that uh, so-called gifts from uh, wealthy Dr. Solomon Melgan to Menendez, were not bribes, but they were just tokens of friendship between two men who have known each other for more than 20 years. The juror Norris said, I did not see a smoking gun. The charges had include had included bribery, conspiracy, honest services, fraud, uh, and uh, would have been punishable by up to 20 years in prison. The jurors, in a note to the judge, uh, said that they had reviewed all of the evidence in great detail and, quote, tried to look at this case from different viewpoints, but they, quote, were not willing to move away from their strong convictions. The Menendez case was the first major federal bribery trial since the U.S. Supreme Court in 2016 threw out a conviction of Republican former Governor Bob McDonnell in Virginia, and in the process, narrowed the definition of bribery. Uh, so uh, there's there's that that uh, will affect the uh, the U.S. Senate as Menendez, for the moment, says he's now going to be running for uh, reelect, plans to run for reelection in New Jersey, but with less than four weeks. From Alabama's U.S. special election for the U.S. Senate, uh, that'll be coming up in December, and no sign 
that the Republican Party's besieged nominee, Roy Moore, plans to exit the race. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and his top advisors are kind of panicking, and they are now discussing the uh, legal feasibility of asking appointed Senator Luther Strange to resign from his seat in order to trigger a new special election. Uh, McConnell aides express caution for this, saying they're uncertain whether such a move, uh, one of several being discussed, is even possible. Read even legal or constitutional U.S. Uh, UC Irvine election uh, law expert Rick Hassan has said that would uh, be a violation of the Constitution's 17th Amendment to try to basically kill this election, which is already underway. Absentee ballots are already being turned in for the December 12 election. Uh, New GOP polling, meantime, obtained by Politico, suggests that Roy Moore, the Republican, is absolutely cratering following uh, the allegations that have emerged that Moore had engaged in sexual misconduct with teenagers. Um, The uh, survey... That was uh, when he was a 32-year-old district attorney down there in Alabama. The poll that was obtained, this is a Republican uh, poll that was obtained by Politico, uh, shows that uh, Democrat candidate Doug Jones is now leading Roy Moore by 12 points in Alabama. This Republican poll. The poll showed a dramatic turn uh, in early October. Moore... The Republican had been leading by 16 points. This was just, what, two months, October, that last month, October. He was leading by 16 points. Earlier this month, he was uh, only leading by nine. Now he is down, down by 12 points against the Democrat. So um, much more on that story, no doubt, between now and December and perhaps beyond. McConnell's team had been, by the way, asking Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, to uh, consider running as a write-in candidate. It was his seat that was vacated that uh, started all of this when Trump appointed Jeff Sessions as attorney general. But, um, man, elections, yes, are really important, particularly now. It is never too late uh, or too early, I should say, to get ready for the 2018 elections and the hellstorm of suppression tactics that are likely to come with it, particularly with a Republican Party now that looks like it will be in serious trouble by the time folks start voting next year. And it is never too late to demand publicly overseeable elections, unlike the ones that are held across the state of Georgia where voters are still demanding accountability for both recent election disasters there and many more that have happened over the past 15 years in the state since they moved to 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. That story and an important new attempt at accountability for Georgia's chief election official is all next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Well, an old sweet song and about 15 years of uh, disastrous elections keeps Georgia on my mind. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, well... If you're a regular listener to the Bradcast or a reader of bradblog.com, you know that we have been covering elections in the state of Georgia for about 15 years at this point. Specifically, their 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting systems, which they installed statewide back in 2002. They were, uh, along with Maryland, the first to do that in this uh, country following the year 2000 elections, and despite report after report, finding after finding, hack after hack, showing that those particular voting systems, voting and tabulation systems, showing that they are wildly vulnerable to undetectable hacking, the state of Georgia continues to force voters to use them anyway at the polling place on Election Day and in early voting. As far back as 2005, we obtained from a source one of the uh, one of the very 100% unverifiable Diebold machines that are still used today in the state of Georgia. We gave it to a uh, to a to Princeton's computer lab at the time, very covertly back then, because these systems were thought to be so proprietary that the company and the jurisdictions which used them would not allow any outside independent analysis of those systems. Well, Princeton came back with a blockbuster report and a physical demonstration showing how in about 30 seconds, one single Diebold touchscreen voting system could be hacked with a virus implanted in such a way that it could flip all votes on the machine and then pass itself from machine to machine to the tabulator to flip the results of an entire election with virtually no possibility of ever being detected. Well, that was more than a decade ago, and yet Georgia continues to use the same systems today, just as they did in the 2016 presidential election last year, just as they did in the U.S. House special election earlier this year in Georgia's 6th Congressional District when the Democratic candidate there, John Ossoff, who had been leading in every nonpartisan poll prior to Election Day, somehow he managed to lose to the Republican challenger, Georgia's former Secretary of State, Karen Handel, in that race. But long before, long before the 6th District U.S. House special election, a data security researcher had discovered that the state's entire voter registration database, including personal information on about 6.5 million Peach State voters, had been left fully exposed, completely vulnerable, on an, uh, on an election server that had been left online. Even worse, the programming files for the state's voting systems, the specific ballot instructions used on each voting machine and computer tabulator were also completely vulnerable to download on that same election server on the Internet 
along with the administrative passwords for the entire system. That was uh, that discovery was made in August of 2016, a few months before last year's presidential election. The researcher who discovered the vulnerability informed the head of Kennesaw State University's Center for Election Systems. That's the group which has been uh, contracted by the state of Georgia since 2002 to program all of its voting tabulation and voter registration systems across the entire state. And then in March of this year, it was discovered that Kennesaw's election center had done nothing about that vulnerability that they had been told about six months earlier. Those files were still online, totally vulnerable on this election server, no password needed to access them. And it was only then, six months after the original report, that the entire matter finally became public thanks to a report by Kim Zetter at Politico. Now, given the massive security breach and the already wildly hackable and vulnerable, unverifiable voting systems in the state of Georgia, uh, all of this just weeks before that U.S. House special election in the 6th District earlier this year, dozens of the nation's top computer science and voting system experts sent a letter pretty much begging Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brian Kemp at the time, to implement paper ballots for that very high-profile U.S. House special election. Uh, Kemp not only didn't move the state to paper ballots for that election in response, but according to one of the lead authors of that letter, longtime computer expert Barbara Simons, who we interviewed at the time on this show, Kemp didn't even bother to respond to the computer scientists at all before, as it turns out, the central computer vote tabulators actually failed in Fulton County, Georgia, for several hours on the primary election night in that special election. And then weeks later, the, the system ultimately awarded the surprising win to the Republican former Secretary of State handle on the night of that June 20 runoff. Uh, curiously, the Democrat, John Ossoff, had defeated Karen Handel by a nearly two to one margin on the only verifiable ballots in the June 20 race. That was the hand marked paper absentee mail in ballots. Nonetheless, the winning two to one on the verifiable ballots, Ossoff reportedly lost by enough votes on the hackable, unverifiable touchscreen systems to lose the entire race, which an analysis by the election integrity group vote, uh, vote VoterGA.org argues can only be explained by a hack or insider manipulation, at least as the group's co-founder Garland Favorito, a member of the state's Constitution Party, explained on this program a few weeks ago. But all of that is not even the most troubling part of this entire sorry saga. After the June 20 election, a multipartisan group of voters sued Secretary of State Brian Kemp and Kennesaw State University's uh, Center for Elections over the results, over the data vulnerabilities that had been discovered, and to demand a move to a verifiable paper ballot system in the state. Just days after the suit was filed, we have now learned 
Thanks to uh, FOIA releases of internal emails and some smart reporting by the Associated Press that the election server in question, the one that had been left vulnerable online with the passwords to the voting systems, that server that the plaintiffs in the lawsuit had hoped to forensically investigate for signs of tampering, that server had been completely wiped by Kennesaw's Center for Elections, just days after the suit was filed. Its two backup servers were similarly wiped a few weeks later, the day after the lawsuit had been moved from state to federal court, with one of the technicians telling his supervisor at the time that it had been, quote, degaussed three times. That is a nuclear industrial wipe of that server. Now, Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp claims he knew nothing about the server wipe until it was reported publicly in the media, just as he claims he knew nothing about the initial server vulnerability months earlier, which had remained in place for at least six months prior to both the presidential election last year and the U.S. House special election this year. And his campaign spokesperson, because Kemp is now running for governor of Georgia in 2018, Described the lawsuit and the concerns about all of this by the multipartisan plaintiffs in the lawsuit as stupid. Describing the effort as an effort by liberal activists who have, quote, cooked up this tasteless nothing burger of a lawsuit. Now, on this show uh, recently, I asked Republican plaintiff in the case, Marilyn Marks, hardly a liberal activist, Uh, Her coalition for good governance is leading the legal effort in this case. I asked her about the characterization from Kemp's campaign spokesperson. Here's what she had to say. They know the merits of the lawsuit. They know it's not stupid. Or else why would they have erased the records? And why is Kemp's campaign spokesperson involved in this at all he is uh he's being sued as secretary of state why is a a campaign spokesperson involved in this at all do you have any idea well i you know i think that um, brian kemp is um and rightfully so getting getting a black eye here what he has done is shameful there's no way to explain it and of course it's going to hurt his campaign so i'm sure that his defenders and campaign managers are doing everything they can to um, to go on the offensive and try to make other people um, look like they are to blame and that their candidate is innocent. This cannot be helping his, his campaign um, at all. But I think when people step back and say, well, now, wait a minute, when they erased these servers, they did it for some reason, and it wasn't because our lawsuit was stupid. That was uh, plaintiff, Republican plaintiff, Marilyn Marks. Uh, I, I also asked her at the time about the fact that the Republican Attorney General's office, which had been representing both the Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp and Kennesaw's Center for Elections in the suit, uh, I asked her about the fact that that Attorney General just about a week or so ago announced they would no longer be representing the Secretary of State, for some reason, or any of the other defendants in the case, after it was revealed that there were apparently conflicting dates on when exactly the server and its two backups had actually been wiped. The um, number of conflicting stories that Brian Kemp's people are telling about when the server was wiped. And I believe, Brad, and this is just pure speculation on Mm -hmm. my part, 
I believe that a good, uh, probably a good part of the reason that the AG's office had to withdraw is because their clients were giving them, let's say it nicely, conflicting information, and they kept changing their stories on when this information was deleted. Now, Kemp, for his part, claims that he was outraged when he heard about the server wipes at Kennesaw. The Secretary of State blamed it on ineptitude and gross incompetence by Kennesaw's Center for Elections, which, as uh, Secretary of State and the uh, state's chief election official in Georgia, he, Brian Kemp, was tasked with overseeing. Kemp said that he hoped to get a copy of that wiped server from the FBI, which had supposedly made a copy of at least part of the server after the initial data breach vulnerability became public uh, last March. Kemp has also said that Kennesaw would no longer program all of Georgia's elections and that they'd move the process in-house instead, though that is not expected to happen until after the 2018 election, as I understand it, when, of course, Brian Kemp will likely be on the ballot for governor. All of this, and I suspect much more, has now led a group of voters in Georgia to begin a recall petition effort to remove Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp from office. That effort is now underway, and I'm happy to welcome John Ziegler, the chairperson of A Voice for All Georgia, the group that is leading the recall effort of uh, Secretary of State Kemp, to today's broadcast. John Ziegler, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you very much, Brad. It's a pleasure, pleasure and privilege to be here with you today. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate the work you're doing in Georgia. I'm already exhausted from that introduction, putting all those details together. But That was fantastic and very accurate. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, first, uh, before we discuss the technicalities and uh, the specifics of your petition-gathering campaign and how a recall would actually work in Georgia, were there any key points in that story that, uh, that, that jumped out at you that I missed? I think it's important to know that our voting machines are 15 years old, and they are just as you described. They were given an F-minus rating by the Free Congress Foundation and Verified Voting, very two reliable voting organizations, back only when they were two years old. Thirteen years later, we still have the same machines, and that's an F-minus. It sure is, uh, and and they've done nothing about it. There are not. other reasons, of course, that your group is is hoping to recall the Georgia Secretary of State, as I understand it, uh, including, as you note in your press release, uh, in 2015, Kemp's office leaked Georgia voter information, uh, including Social Security numbers and driver's license data. I, I vaguely remember that, but what what exactly happened in this ca- in that case, and and how was it resolved, John? Basically, the information was placed on disks, and my understanding was that it was 12 disks, and they got mailed out, and that had, as you indicated, the voter information that was on it. Basically, a class action lawsuit was filed against Secretary of State Kemp and his office, and as part of resolution, he actually admitted that the information was leaked, and the state of Georgia agreed to pay $1.2 million for credit monitoring for Georgians affected for a year. So they actually uh, gave out, this was, uh, I, I presume this was, I mean, it's, it's, it's public voter information like that is public data that people can ask for uh, or, you know, pay money for, campaigns right. do it and so forth. Right. But he was not supposed to include things like Social Security numbers in or that. Or driver's license information or anything like that, correct. Yes, sir. 
In uh, 2016, I also recall that Kemp was sued by uh, uh, voting rights groups uh, and the NAACP, as I recall, for either losing or failing to enter some 40,000 new voter registrations. there are are 40,000 voter registrations. It seems that his office um, seems to have issues with handling voter registration and processing information. Were those names, to your knowledge, ever actually entered before the 2016 election? Not my knowledge from what I've read is that the information was found, although I don't know if it was, mm-hmm. but from my understanding, it was. I asked uh, both uh, Marilyn Marks, who is a Republican, and Garland Favorito, who's a, a Constitution Party member on this show. Theoretically, that party is even to the right of the Republican right. Party. Right. Uh, whether they believed Kemp uh, was telling the truth about everything surrounding the server wipe. They were dubious at best. Uh, John Ziegler, I don't know what party, if any, that you identify as, but, well, actually, what party is that, and do you accept Kemp's explanation about that entire mess? I can't answer as far as what he actually knows, because I can't go into his mind. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't know that he... I would like to believe as an elected official... Um, that he would have the best intentions for all Georgians and that he wouldn't be involved in something like that. But then, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, I would say it's dubious. I would say it's strange. Um, I know that he, you know, basically when that came out, he basically attacked Kennesaw State University. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of days later, there was this internal investigation, and it seemed like everything was clear, nothing you see here. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, you know, well, the FBI has it, and I'm thinking to myself, and lawsuits, generally, when there's a lawsuit filed, in general, you actually preserve whether, you know, it's the voting machines or equipment or whatever, you do your due diligence and protect it. Mm-hmm. Now, understanding that he can't be everywhere and whatever because he's the Secretary of State, but at the same time, everything follows under his reign. So I think that's my answer to that. How does this uh, recall petition, how does the recall petition requirement uh, now work in Georgia? How many signatures do you need? By when? Who can gather these signatures? And uh, uh, and, and who can sign these petitions? Good question. Um, basically what happens, if I can walk back a bit, is that we actually had to go to Secretary of State Kemp's office mm-hmm. and actually obtain an application. And we actually had to complete the application. We had to put our legal grounds, our reasons for why he should be recalled, and we had to meet a certain criteria. And then once we did that, we actually had to take that application, and we had to go out and get a bunch of signatures. And then once we actually had that, we had to do that within a two-week span. And then we had to return back to Secretary of State Kemp's office and turn the information over to his election director, Chris Harvey. And they had four days to verify all the information, verify all the signatures, make sure that everything we had on that application was accurate and all the signatures were verified. Mm -hmm. And then once that happened, the recall petition was actually issued. So you actually, just to clarify, you actually had to do a petition to to do a petition. You had to gather signatures. There's there's actually an application where you actually have to go box and you have to check all the different boxes Mm -hmm. and all the different grounds and the reasons and... You know, basically our allegations that we said is that he's basically committed an act of or act of malfeasance while in office, has violated his or her oath of office, has committed an act of misconduct in office, is guilty of a failure to perform duties prescribed by law. Those are basically the allegations that we use to support, um, you know, our petition as far as the application. And we actually had to stay and list out in detail exactly why to support that. Mm-hmm. 
And then once we had that, then we actually went around in a two-week span, got all the signatures, got way more than we actually needed, mm-hmm. turned all that information into Chris Harvey as election instructor. They verified the information four days later. They gave us a recall petition, and that's where we are right now. Um, uh, how, how, many, Georgia, how, how many signatures did you have to get in that for that initial process? You only had to get 100. Okay, so, so you got 100. So had, you had to get 100 Georgia registered voters right. for the application, and then they had to verify all the information. Got it. And um, so we submitted that, and then we were issued the recall petition. And your question as far as the signatures, in Georgia, we actually need to have 778,677 signatures from Georgia registered voters. The key is that the registered voters had to be eligible to have voted in Georgia last year. Mm -hmm. So if you've moved to Georgia this year and you're a registered voter, unfortunately you can't sign our petition. But if you were here last year or prior to that and you're a registered voter and Georgia resident, you can sign it. Interesting thing is about the recall petition is that Georgia has 14 congressional districts. And part of the signature process is that we have to go through each congressional district and get approximately 55,000 signatures from each congressional district. Mm. So we can't just go to like the sixth, or we can't go to the fifth, or the fourth, or the third. We have to go throughout all 14 congressional districts to obtain the required signatures. Wow. And also something of interest also is that with the recall petition in Georgia Code, recall law is that if you're a state employee, you are not allowed to circulate the recall petition which I would think that violates someone's, you know, constitutional rights to yeah. be able to do that, but that's Georgia law. And then Georgia law also has it where you can't take the recall petition inside of a restaurant or an establishment that serves alcohol or sells alcohol. So there are a lot of various um, wow. challenges and hurdles in this, mm. and we know that we're working very hard. We have hundreds of Georgians across the state in all the dist- different districts right now circulating the recall petition because we all share the common common goal to recall Kemp for all the things that he's done. I'd like to make it very clear because Kemp and other individuals associated with him have mislabeled our group. A Voice for All Georgia is a nonpartisan group. We have Democrats. We have Republicans. We have constitutionalists. We have Tea Party members. We have independents. And the thing I found very refreshing, Brad, is that we all share the same common goal. Same common goal is that we want to have a secure vote, and we want to have a fair vote, and we want to make sure that all votes count, whether it's your gender, ethnicity, religion, values, or beliefs. We all have different opinions, but we all have united together to believe that there should be, you know, the fair election, secure vote, which, in our opinion, is to have the paper ballots and have it hand-counted, because there are other countries around the world, there are other states. Georgia is in the bottom five when it comes to voting as far as Mm -hmm. the election system, going back to our voting machines are 15 years old, Mm -hmm. they're F-minus, nothing has changed, they run on Windows 2000, they're very antiquated, they're very hackable, which you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, There are all kinds of insecurities, and, you know, that's where we are, and we know that We face a lot of challenges and a lot of hurdles, and whether or not we actually get to that number, we might not, but we declare a victory now over Secretary Kemp, because for the longest time he has been, and he literally suppresses the vote, whether it's people trying to register the vote for Mm -hmm. voter suppression, which I know you've covered in the past, Mm -hmm. but he has literally 
suppressed, and he has assaulted the voting rights and our election voting system here in Georgia of millions of Georgians. And the thing I'd like to get across is that by us being on your show today and other national media, you know, Nick Hudson from the from the Huffington Post mm-hmm. was one of the first people to actually write a wonderful piece on it, on what they're doing. And Brian Kemp has literally suppressed the votes for Georgians, and he's also suppressed our voting rights and our system. Yep. But we're taking a moral victory now because he's being exposed for who he is and for what he's done for all the years in office. And I'd like to note also that I don't think a lot of people realize about Secretary Kemp is that he was actually never officially elected to office. He came into office in 2010 when Governor Deal appointed him, when at that time Secretary Handel resigned so she could actually run for governor, which she failed. Mm -hmm. And while Georgia has a resign-to-run law where technically Secretary Kemp doesn't have to resign because he is running for governor, as you noted, and Mm -hmm. if he is on that ballot, his Secretary of State term would not expire until the governor term is, so they don't overlap, so he can actually do that. But I would say to Secretary Kemp that you're a man of faith, and you appear to be somewhat a man of integrity, that do in the best interest of Georgians and resign now. Go run your governor campaign, do whatever you want to. You don't seem to care about the Georgian voters. You don't care about our Georgian voting system or our election system. Have some respect for the millions of Georgians. Because at the end of the day, Brad, you know, he works for us. You know, it's basically like an employer. You know, he talked about information that he's leaked before, the suppression, all the kind of stuff. He basically, he's not working for the Georgians. You know, he's already moved on to running for governor. And he was actually one of the first people to actually announce for his governor campaign all the way back at the beginning of this year. Oh, yeah. No, he's, so, been, he's been running for a long time. John, I've got just a few minutes left. I want to ask, so, so you, you've, got, uh, you've got to get, well, like three-quarters of a million uh, signatures. I think this has to be done by December. Um, it does. Who, December 15th. And I'd like to give out yeah. information if I can. Uh, well, I'll um, get to that in a second uh, because I want to. I want to make sure. Well, uh, first, w- w- who verifies those signatures uh, that would be needed for a recall? Is it actually the Secretary of State's office? It is. Everything we turn over, everything <laughs> we receive, yeah. goes back into his office. So, okay, to the point where all the information that we're actually gathering. And there was also something interesting that the the recall petition is that. All the different sheets, all the different pages that we actually have, yeah. where then there are 159 counties in Georgia, all the signatures for each county have to be on the same page. So, like, say there's DeKalb County mm-hmm. and there's Cobb County. If you have someone in DeKalb County who signs on the Cobb County page, that voids all the signatures on that page. Oh, my God. So it's a very – there are all kinds of hurdles. So basically the bottom line is that – um, I encourage all people to register to vote. I encourage people to constantly check to make sure your registration voting status hasn't changed because that's happened under Kemp's watch. Uh-huh. Um, and that make sure that, you know, when you're voting, do your due diligence because the recall, the recall exists in Georgia, but it's basically set up to the point where it's almost impossible to happen. Yeah, but I was that's gonna... not to say that we're not trying and that we won't get there. But regardless, you know, we're exposing the system for what it is, yeah. it doesn't count for who he is. And I can't help but notice that uh, those 40,000 voters who 
for some reason uh, may not have got uh, got properly put into the system last year that I guess since you had to be a registered voter last year in order to sign, that's 40,000 right. people who can't sign. Uh, John, if the effort is successful here, if you get the 778,000 signatures that you will need, is Kemp recalled or is there then a recall election to determine if he's recalled or not? There is a recall election. What happens, Brad, is that once we turn in all the signatures, mm-hmm. once they verify all the information, Governor Deal at that point, since Secretary of State is the one who's actually being recalled, mm-hmm. he would be actually excluded because normally it would be Secretary of State's responsibility to actually call the election, but in this case it would be Governor Deal. Governor Deal would then be required to, within 10 days of verification, to set a recall election, which is supposed to occur within 30 to 45 days of that. So our target right now is December 15th for the signatures. We would we would speculate that if we actually get all the signatures, that based on the Georgia Code, that that recall election would happen towards the end of February to mid-March. And John, would that election happen on the same 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen systems at the they heart of this entire mess? They absolutely would, Brad, because the <laughs> Secretary Kemp has refused to... Um, do anything, and I heard in your introduction you mentioned earlier, going back to 2016, yeah. he actually refused Jay Johnson, DHS, um, help at that time mm-hmm. to secure the vote. He was one of very few Secretary of States in the country to turn down the federal government to secure after knowingly back in August, as you mentioned, Logan Lamb had actually got onto the system, all of it was exposed online, wasn't password protected, yeah. and three months removed, he refused federal assistance refuse federal help. Yes, he said it was a federal takeover of, of state elections or some such. Uh, John, uh, I, I, who would, if, if, if all of this happens, if you're able to get the signatures, if you're able to hold a vote uh, and the people say, yes, get rid of Kemp on these uh, unverifiable systems, who then becomes Secretary of State? Good question, Brad. What happens is at that point is that Governor Deal would actually appoint a replacement mm-hmm. until because the Secretary of State's office is up for re-election in November. Right. So that individual would actually take over. We know that Governor Deal is Republican, and as I indicated before, we're nonpartisan, mm-hmm. so we're fine with that, because our hope would be, at the end of the day, that whoever would be appointed would be someone who cares about democracy, cares about the Georgian votes, and actually has some integrity and actually has some respect. Because he would probably be replaced by another Republican Secretary of State under that scenario. Uh, has there ever been a, a successful recall of a Secretary of State in Georgia, uh, or anywhere else, to your knowledge, John? To my knowledge, there has never been um, a Secretary of State ever has been recalled in Georgia or in the country. Mm-hmm. But in doing my research for this, there has never been one that has been more deserved than <laughs> Secretary Kemp. Well, I might be able to debate you on that because I well, actually, I take that back. <laughs> got quite a Chris, few. Of Chris, Kobach, Chris Kobach and Brian Kemp are very close. So, for the people who are listening in Kansas, and I've yeah. had people in other states who actually contacted us, yeah, and I've walked them through. I'm like, you know, your law, your state actually has a recall. You know, look into it and go after it. And Kansas does have it, so they can actually go after him because I know 
Chris Kobach is actually running for governor as well. Yeah, he is. And so, uh, I could, yeah. it, it's only an hour show. Otherwise, I could probably list you a whole bunch of other Secretary of States in recent history right. who could who could have uh, used that as well. But yeah, seeing uh, Chris Kobach uh, recalled would also be uh, fantastic to see uh, some accountability there. John, uh, I, I know uh, that uh, only registered voters in Georgia can participate. Right. Uh, and only, uh, but, but Georgia elections actually affect all of us as you know so is there anything that those of us well tell me where what where people should go inside the state to help and what those of us outside the state uh, can do here are you looking for donations anything like that how can we help no i'd like to make very clear that unlike usual events and campaigns or not campaigns with politics or whatever we're actually not seeking any money and we're not accepting any money but Mm -hmm. we appreciate people offering where we're completely self-funded, so we're good in that regard as far as money. Mm-hmm. But the best way that you and your listeners and people across the country can actually help us is if you are on Facebook, you can go to our Facebook page, which is A Voice for All Georgia. And if you're in Georgia and you're listening, you can actually, on our Facebook page, click on the link that's pinned to it, and you can sign up to be a circulator, and we will email you the recall petition and the circulator guide with all the instructions so you can go out and get signatures. They can also follow us on Twitter, a voice for all GA, and they can also find information about the recall petition and signing events there. Or if they want to email us, a voice for all Georgia at gmail.com, they can also um, ask for signing events or they can sign up that way as well if they want to help us recirculate the recall petition. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your effort here. Good luck to you. I hope you'll keep us uh, up to date. John Ziegler, chairperson of A Voice for All Georgia on the recall petition attempt, uh, the attempt to recall Secretary of State Brian Kemp uh, from office in Georgia. Thank you, John. Thank you very much, Brad. I sincerely appreciate your help your time and your hard work as always. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report on a very busy news day and an update on the spill uh, on the Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we've got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We told you at the top of this hour that there was a new spill on the Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota. We've got a few additional details on that. Uh, We will get to that right after our latest Green News report. I know people would like to say that these caribou or 
polar bear want to cozy up to a pipeline, but that is just not true. Alaska's pristine National Wildlife Refuge, now one step closer to oil drilling. Pollution has a disproportionate effect on our communities. African Americans bear the brunt of U.S. fossil fuel pollution. Global carbon dioxide emissions are increasing for the first time in years. Plus, France will cover U.S. funding responsibilities for U.N. climate science. All of those embarrassments and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Syria has announced plans to sign the Paris Climate Accord. Joining 196 other countries, making the United States the sole U.N. member country to stand against this deal. It's called American exceptionalism, as in we're the one exception. This is your Green News Report. We're like an island, but not actually, thank God. Islands are having a really hard time right now for some reason. Okay, Desi Doyen, Republicans have for years, decades, I think, been trying to do this, trying to drill in the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge. It looks like this time it may actually happen. Yes, it actually does look like that. On Wednesday, the majority Republicans in the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee pushed through a provision to open up some of the pristine Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil and gas exploration, despite opposition from the vast majority of Americans by attaching it to their tax cut bill, claiming that the small amount of revenue from drilling will offset their $1.5 trillion tax cut. In a testy hearing, Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington State noted that the oil industry already has millions of untouched acres right next door in the Alaska National Petroleum Reserve. And she excoriated Alaska Republicans and the Trump administration Interior Department for claiming that wilderness and oil development can coexist. I'm just amazed that people want to throw away such an unbelievable ecological jewel of our planet. I don't even just mean our nation, I mean our planet. We think that it's a critical habitat that should be protected and that it is not consistent with oil and gas development. And that position was echoed by the Audubon Society, which called the refuge crucial for endangered species, saying, quote, there is no such thing as a wilderness oil field. You've either got wilderness or you've got an oil field. Mm. They and other conservation groups are calling on Americans to call their congressional representatives to stop the land grab of America's last intact wilderness. Global carbon dioxide emissions are increasing again for the first time in three years. That's according to preliminary data for 2017 released by the Global Carbon Project this week. The report found that total annual carbon emissions from fossil fuels and industrial sources rose 2% higher than last year after remaining flat for three years in a row. I was going to say, I thought they have been down or at least flat for many years. Now they're back up. Any idea why? Yeah, they say largely it is driven by increased burning of coal in China and India, but they also say that the United States and Europe have slowed down their rate of cutting their emissions. Mm. 
And part of that slowdown in cutting emissions for the United States is a slight increase in coal burning because of the Trump administration's rollback of air pollution public health regulations, and also an increase in methane leaks from natural gas drilling on public lands. Methane is a more potent greenhouse gas than CO2, and now a new study has measured those leaks from drilling in New Mexico and found that the climate impact of methane leaks from natural gas drilling are, quote, equivalent to 12 coal-fired power plants. And they also lose money for the companies. You would think that they would want to capture this uh, methane in some way. And sell it, but they're also wasting royalties that are supposed to go to To the American taxpayer, exactly. African-American communities bear the brunt of air pollution from oil and gas facilities. That's according to a new study commissioned by the NAACP, which found that African-Americans are 75% more likely to live near toxic oil and gas facilities that churn out more than 9 million tons of toxic air pollutants every year. And that has serious health impacts, including higher rates of asthma among African-American children. But finally, there is a bit of good news sort of, that emerged from the U.N. climate talks now underway in Bonn, Germany. Other nations are trying to pick up the slack and the responsibilities of the United States in the wake of President Trump's decision to withdraw from the landmark Paris Climate Agreement. On Wednesday, French President Emmanuel Macron announced at the conference that France and Europe will cover the United States' funding responsibilities for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the world's preeminent organization for global climate research. Thank you, France. And on behalf of the U.S., I'm sorry. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I'm sorry. I wonder if Trans Canada is is sorry today. (laughs) Uh, They will be. They probably will be, or they should be. Uh, We noted at the top of the show the breaking news that 210,000 gallons of oil. At least. Yeah, they always lowball this, it seems, in the the first report. Uh, Was leaked from the Keystone Pipeline, not the Keystone XL, which has not yet been built. Donald Trump approved it after Barack Obama rejected it. Whether it gets built at all now is probably in even greater question. But uh, some BuzzFeed has some additional details since we uh, opened the show here. BuzzFeed is reporting that the pipeline was shut down at 6 a.m. on Thursday. But the South Dakota Department of Environmental and Natural Resources was not notified until 1030, four and a half hours later. And a spokesman with the department says we're not quite sure why there was a time gap in there. I'm sure we'll find out at some point. Um, Also, a couple of notes here. Remember, this is tar sands from Alberta, which is a specifically very heavy and sticky type of oil. It's very, very difficult Mm -hmm. to clean up. In fact, just about impossible. And next week, the Nebraska Public Service Commission is meeting to to make a decision about whether or not to approve 
the Keystone XL route across Nebraska. So we'll see if this has any impact on their decision. I bet it will. Uh, It's also having an impact on uh, tribal members in the area who are very concerned about this spill. Uh, One of them said uh, that the area has, quote, the cleanest lakes in South Dakota where this spill occurred. Let's hope uh, it stays that way. So we will have more, no doubt, on our next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to John Ziegler of A Voice for All Georgia, my guest today, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of this show or any other, you can download them anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find and follow me and hopefully share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves as long as we can to continue doing what we try to do every day right here. All right. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 